1: Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome
2: to Episode 177 of Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. Our topic today is voice for family caregivers in the mental health system. And by voice, we mean the ways in which individuals or groups openly express their wishes, choices, opinions or concerns. Voice empowers family caregivers as individuals or as groups by publicising their concerns. The individuals we're talking about today are family caregivers caring for family members living with serious mental illnesses such as schizophrenia. The groups we're talking about are family caregivers who've joined together, however temporarily, as a community because of common concerns. And the common concerns we're talking about include challenges, difficulties experienced by family caregivers in communicating and collaborating with physicians which is why our topic today voice for family caregivers in the mental health system is so important and to discuss it our guests are kathy walker and dr lisa dope kathy has a master's degree in social work is a registered social worker and worked as a mental health case manager for 15 years she's currently a director and secretary of the board of a non-profit agency newly formed to develop supportive housing for people with serious mental illnesses. It was begun by family caregivers who feel isolated within the current mental health system. Recently, she's trained as a group facilitator with the Strengthening Families Together program of the Schizophrenia Society of Ontario she'll be facilitating family psychoeducational groups in her community. Kathy is a single parent and mother of a son with schizoaffective disorder. And for, for this um, broadcast, she's using her maiden name to protect her son's identity. Lisa Lisa is an MD and a fellow of the American College of Occupational and Environmental Medicine. Her clinical focus is forensic psychotherapy, for which she's taken special training. In her medical practice, she specializes in care for persons whose high-risk behaviors led to involvement with the justice system. And she also provides support for their family caregivers. She's been a consultant to a community health clinic and to correction services Canada. And she's been involved with the Canada round table on return to function and return to work. She has special experience in addiction medicine and psychotherapy in supporting patients in returning to function. She has extensive experience in advocacy and advising legislatures in North America, Europe and Australia. So welcome to the show, Kathleen Lisa. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to start with Kathy first. Kathy, please tell us more about your personal background and about your own family's experience in family caregiving.
3: Well, uh, as your introduction said, I am a social worker in mental health, and uh, it's... um, um, Kind of interesting that I am also the parent of a son who has a serious mental illness. Uh, my caregiving began when he was actually many. It was actually many years ago when he was in grade four, and he uh, developed a, a major depression, which um, was quite frightening and uh, and uh, filled me with anguish. And I felt very very helpless. Uh, his years in 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 elementary school weren't uh, particularly uh, happy years because there was always um, periods of depression, some sometimes suicidal behavior. In high school, things improved a bit, um, and uh, he finished high school, and then around his mid-20s, he experienced his first uh, psychotic break. So my experience in um, working with um, my experience with the mental health system has really not been particularly satisfactory. I found uh, that uh, people, um, you know, the specialists that I would approach, like uh, child psychiatrists, psychologists, uh, pediatricians, um, they really weren't helpful. And uh, in his later years, I have found the system is not particularly responsive either. Um, I found... Um, Unfortunately, I've been disappointed. I found that there really is no accountability within the system. I've had to use emergency services on occasion, and it's been uh, quite uh, the whole thing's been really quite an experience, and I've sort of emerged possibly as a stronger person and certainly uh, very appreciative of the challenges that my son has had to go through.
2: Kathy, we're going to explore all of those things um, in further questions and discussions with you. Now, Lisa, please tell us more about your professional background as a physician and about your own family's experience in family caregiving.
4: Um, I've had a variety of some positions within medicine, as you identified at the beginning, and I guess... The- My uh, experience has been more and more, and especially in this latest role as being a physician interested in forensic psychotherapy, the value of the family caregiver in terms of supporting the patient. And uh, I almost feel that without it, my role as a physician actually is weakened, and I try to incorporate the family uh, as part of the therapy. Um, as for my own personal experience, um, my son has ADHD. As many of us i have had family members die and have had to provide care. And my own husband had died of a suicide. And so in all those, has strengthened my knowledge of what it's like to be a caregiver.
2: Thank you. Kathy, please tell us more about your experience of getting your voice listened to in the mental health care system. Kathy?
3: Um, well, I'd like to talk about, um, on a systems level, um, I've tried to... Um, Make my voice heard to the people who make the decisions, and have joined with other parents. Uh, um, there was a time uh, back in 2009 when we actually um, developed a presentation for the local mental health and addictions committee of our lens, and um, we spent a lot of time um, developing this presentation, giving all sorts of details about some of the experiences that we had had. Um, and, uh, you know, I remember the gentleman that gave the presentation, he actually finished with a statement, we want help now. Well, nothing happened. We were totally ignored. Um, that was just one occasion. On other occasions, I've written documented letters to the ministry about my observations and and concerns about uh, how my son was getting treatment uh, from community agencies. I've... Um, Um, Gave input into a family focus group once that was supported, uh, sponsored by uh, our local Lynn, and uh, my input was ignored. I uh, complained to my MPP. He never got back to me. Uh, I find that the system really just gives families lip service, and uh, it's sometimes I find it's like talking to a wall. So I, um, you know, I'm really kind of discouraged with uh, trying to communicate my concerns to the system.
2: Lisa, please tell us about the difficulties you hear about from family caregivers in their their getting their voices listened to in mental health care. What do you hear about?
4: I hear from family caregivers who are um, referred to me directly, and they are absolutely desperate from not being able to get the services that their uh, family member needs as well as their own needs met. Now, whether it's from a treatment perspective or just information with regards what is actually happening um, to their loved one. Uh, so they are, are really, actually, quite frantic about not being able to access this. Um, they they really truly want to understand what is happening and what they can do to help, uh, and need up to date information about what is required from everybody.
2: Just to respond to both of you and what you've been saying um, on this show family caregivers unite i hear from family caregivers repeatedly three things one is that when the condition whatever it is strikes their family member first they feel alone then they feel the need for information which they can trust which they can understand and which is useful and then they want to start hearing from other family caregivers who've been through the same sort of experience have travelled the road rather 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 further than the family caregivers who are just starting out. And so that very much I'm going to ask you this as a question in a second. I think that very much supports. Your own experiences, and also the way in which you describe the the behaviour, so to speak, of the family towards family caregivers by the mental health care system. Now, just a quick yes/no, Kathy. Do you agree with my summary? Are you comfortable with the summary I've just given you back?
3: Yes, I, I think you've um, yeah, I think you've covered it very well.
2: Okay, um, Lisa. Do you do you think I've sort I of represented it properly?
3: Don't. I
4: think uh, what has not been captured is the reaction between the family members when somebody has become ill. And um, as a result of this illness, it often sort of magnifies any kind of communications between the um Wife and husband, or other family members. So now, what you not only have is you have a family member who is ill, but you also have a dysfunctional communication process, often leading to other increased adaptive behaviors on the part of family members, such as increased drinking, or just to cope with all the stress that this
3: illness has engendered yeah i would uh certainly concur that it causes a lot of stress and uh i remember at the family focus group uh that i attended that was in april of last year uh the gentleman sitting behind me he um he actually said that it was so much what he was dealing with that he you know that he had started drinking and uh, and I think you know like he was do- saying it in a joking way but I think he was he was really speaking the truth
2: right um, now yeah. ca- unfortunately Kathy we have a time tyranny, oh. tyranny and I'm going to have to stop you but we will be coming back to these key points but we've we've I think captured something fundamental about the stresses strains and challenges so now it's time for us to take a break, to pay the rent this is Dr Gordon Atherley and my guests are Kathy Walker and Dr Lisa Dope, you're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio for Powell River please stay with us, we will be back
1: We're on Facebook along with some of the greatest minds of the world. And that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment.
5: Are you ready for real change in your life? Deep down inside you is a magnificent being just looking to break free. Tune in to Manifesting Abundance with Deborah Laurent and Jim DelVecchio. Most people need to make some minor adjustments in attitude and behavior to achieve alignment with their inner being. Jim and Deborah will help outline these changes and give you the steps you need to create some major improvements in your life. Listen for Manifesting Abundance, Thursdays at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel.
1: Now you can discover your true identity through connecting healthy relationships. Make your contribution to the world that you live in. Tune into Love Yourself with host Dorothy Doctor, the self-love coach. Dorothy is a gifted listener as well as an empowerment expert. She can help you take those first steps toward moving forward in your life and the lives of others. Find your true, authentic self. Love Yourself with Dorothy Doctor is broadcast live every Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at familycaregiversunite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week, Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite.
2: Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Kathy Walker and Dr. Lisa Dope. Our topic is voice for family caregivers in the mental health system. Let's talk about situations in which family caregivers caring for family members with serious mental illnesses experience challenges in getting their questions answered by physicians and in providing information to the physicians. So, Kathy, you first of all, please. Some family caregivers say they've had problems obtaining information about their family members from physicians. Please tell us about your experience.
3: Well, I might be a wee bit different because I have been in the mental health field for 15 years and I've had quite a bit of experience uh, working with psychiatrists, um, taking my clients to a psychiatrist and sitting in on the visit. And I've always observed that they really don't do too much talking. They basically are just checking to see if the person's stable and that there's no outstanding issues. And so uh, my expectations of um, speaking, say, to my son's psychiatrist, I wouldn't even know what to ask him, quite frankly. But I'm not satisfied with the fact that he, um, he sees him only every three months for 15 minutes. And I was actually counting this up yesterday. That's only one hour per year. So... I would really like to have more of a dialogue and to have my son have more of a dialogue with the psychiatrist. I feel if I were allowed in the meeting or part of the meeting, I may be able to bring up issues, ob- observations that I see around the house, um, you know, uh, see my son uh, take part in so that I could share this with a psychiatrist, so maybe um, the psychiatrist could talk to my son about it. And, you know, like, I feel that he should have supportive counseling, that he should Learned about his illness, learned about the limitations, and maybe that would help him be less frustrated. So I think that I don't really have had, I haven't really had too much of a problem um, getting information because I really have not really known what to ask because I don't really know if they're quite, if they're forthcoming with anything. It appears that it's more a case of keeping the patient stable on medication more than anything.
2: Right. Lisa, under what circumstances and why do physicians decline to provide information to family caregivers about their family members?
4: Um... I guess the easy and most obvious one is that the College of Physicians and Surgeons, um, I mean, there are laws mandating the privacy of medical information. And most physicians, and I would say all physicians, have concerns about uh, revealing any kind of information that would be considered confidential to anybody. So that's number one. But oftentimes, um, and I can just speak for myself with this one because I think it's probably most important. My concern when I see a patient um, is to maintain a therapeutic alliance because we know that 30 Percent of success in any kind of psychotherapy approach is based on the therapeutic alliance. Forty percent is based on patient commitment. So my whole focus is to maintain that alliance and commitment of the patient, even if it's just in the t- coming in to see me once a week or once a month. And so what I find is with a lot of uh, patients who especially are psychotic, their uh, ability to what I would call sniff out when family members have been, um, ha- are extraordinary. In fact, they have a, almost a sixth sense of when somebody is uh, t- has talked about them behind their back. And because of their oftentimes paranoia, um, I I cannot risk um, communicating um, any information um, to the family because I I can't um, risk losing that patient. That patient contact is probably the only chance he may have in order to get, he, she may have in order to get help. So, maintaining that um, continuity of care is, to me, the sort of the first priority. Right. Um, and, and let me just uh, leave it like that.
2: Okay. Kathy, I'm going to ask you this question. Please give us some examples of where psychiatrists, particularly, have not listened to your input. That is, your... Yeah trying to provide them with information which you think would be valuable. Um, Please give us some instances that you've experienced and please also talk to us about the consequences of that uh, not listening.
3: Well, uh, the first um, and probably the most uh, significant time when a psychiatrist didn't listen to me was during my son's first psychotic break uh, when he clearly was psychotic and there was many instances of it. Um, but I had not realized that this psychiatrist did not believe this. I guess he'd, maybe the nurses had told him that this was my feeling and I had not realized that the psychiatrist disagreed. So that when we had our family meeting he sort of um, challenged me to give him instances of where my son uh, was psychotic and I had to describe these instances and I don't think actually looking back that he really did believe me and I think it was only uh, when a nurse on my way out one time when I was visiting said well how's your son doing I said well he won't uh, answer that he won't phone me because he feels the phone's bugged and I think that was the first time they realized that maybe my son was psychotic. So the consequence of that was he did get a diagnosis of psychosis NOS, but he didn't get referred to the first unit, so he didn't get the appropriate follow-up. Um, on another occasion when he was off his meds, um, I had uh, take, it was a very, very difficult to get him to the appointment with this psychiatrist. We had waited for a long time to get this appointment, and, um, and it was very difficult getting uh, my son to the hospital because he was off his medication. And the psychiatrist should have read the notes, you know, because um, we had been down there several times where my son was clearly off his medication. But it looked like the psychiatrist had not read the notes. I'd wanted to speak to him before the visit or even be part of the visit. Psychiatrist wouldn't talk to me at all. I could not give him any information. He met with my son, and, of course, the meeting ended up in a disaster. So, therefore, my son didn't get, uh, he wouldn't take my son on as a patient. So that was the consequence of that. On another occasion, when um, um, I You know, my son was admitted to hospital involuntarily. He was there a few days, and they wanted to release him before he was ready to be released. Even the nurse on the ward said he wasn't ready, but they wanted to release him. So I had to go to administration, um, and, and that way my son was allowed to stay in hospital. But the consequence of that was he still didn't have a psychiatrist, and none of the psychiatrists in that particular hospital would take him on probably because they thought that uh, I was uh, maybe somebody that was a little outspoken. Um, so, you know, so my son um, did not have a psychiatrist after that hospitalization either. And it was only a number of months later that he finally got a psychiatrist. So, you know, I really wish that they would be a little bit more thoughtful and take into consideration the families point of view because we live with the person so we know a lot a lot of helpful information but i don't think somehow that the, the training is there uh, you know why they why they don't ask family members for information i think it would help and um, you know solve a lot of problems
2: right now that goes to lisa please now, say,
4: can i just please- interrupt to add something Go just to add something to what Cassie was saying, I mean, she's talking about how psychiatrists and the health care system doesn't listen to families. But they also don't listen to the, the family practitioner. They don't listen to oftentimes external psychiatrists. Um, and so it's just not the... Families who are frustrated. Um, I can tell you about a patient that I had who was involved with the justice system, and it took us over a year between the time when his psychotic behaviors uh, were causing legal problems and the initial referral to the first episode clinic uh, occurred but he was turned down he was turned down a second time a third time and it took a you know the the uh, the forensic psychiatrist and myself to work with the lawyer in order to get the court to order uh the first episode clinic to accept the patient so i i just want to let you right
2: Sorry, I'm no I'm just going to interrupt that, you.
4: No, they're not the only ones who are frustrated by the lack of communication. I appreciate
3: Got that.
2: Got it. Now, I just want to ask you very quickly, Lisa, why do you think the situation you and Kathy have described actually exists? What's the problem? Lisa? Oh, I think that
4: there's that it's complex, and I think it's, it's because... Um, Oftentimes, I think the patients themselves, when they sense that they're to be admitted or, or under realize what is happening to them, their ability to uh, maintain a normal presence occurs. And so they do not present the way that they do to family members to people that they trust, like the family doctor or a friendly psychiatrist. So they're able to control their thoughts much better. So, so the psychiatrist in the hospital may not see what we're seeing. The pr- frustration is they don't trust us. I mean, they don't trust the family members, but they don't trust the GP who are giving them the information. And so they only trust their own minds and so come to a completely different conclusion than we would. Mm -hmm. And secondly, I think it's because of the concern for the college that they're – to give them sort of credit that they may be concerned that if they shared information or started communicating that they would be breaching some confidentiality.
2: Right. Mm. Now, I'm going to stop the discussion there only because it's time for the break, but we're going to come back to those issues because they're profoundly important. In other right. words, concerns about privacy seem to be getting in the way, and there are obviously other factors as well. So let's take this short break now. This is Dr. Athley, and my guests are Kathy Walker and Dr. Lisa Dope. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio for Powell River. Please stay with us. We will be back.
1: Find out what makes the most successful people tick keep listening to the voice america empowerment channel voice america
5: want the inside scoop about what's going on in the social networks of art and entertainment tune in to star power hour brought to you by Fortalent.com. we'll talk to the top professionals in the entertainment industry and find out what they're working on and what's next your host is james barber who has his finger on the pulse of the arts and entertainment world Star Power Hour, brought to you by 4talent.com, live every Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel.
1: Our nation's educational system is undergoing constant change as technology and society are redefining the system as we have known it. On Chalk Talk with Eric Hamilton, we provide parents with the resources they need to understand and become a part of the educational experience for their children. Through engaging guests, news, interactive discussions, and innovative ideas, it's everything that parents should know about school. Tune in every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time for Chalk Talk on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to G at FamilyCaregiversUnite.org That's D-O-C, the letter G, at FamilyCaregiversUnite.org Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week, Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite.
2: Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Kathy Walker and Dr. Lisa Dope. Our topic is Voice for Family Caregivers in the Mental Health System. Let's now talk about solutions to the challenges, because that difficulties that family caregivers experience in communicating with physicians, not so much family physicians, about their family members with serious mental illnesses. So Lisa, first of all, please describe for us what you personally would consider to be a consultation that meets your clinical requirements, reflects your patient's needs and enables communications with the family caregiver? Lisa? Um,
4: Ideally, what I would like to see and what I try to encourage and enable in my practice is um, that the patient and the family both come into my office uh, initially so I can get an understanding of what the family's concerns are and hear the interaction and observe the interaction between the family member and the patient and I usually let this this go on till about five minutes for about five minutes at which point then the family member returns to the waiting room And I can spend the 40 minutes uh, with therapy focused on different strategies to build resilience within the patient, as well as trying to identify what are the sort of the issues that, from the patient's perspective, that he heard from his family member. And at the end, what I'd like to do is to uh, try to. Bring the if this is if the patient will permit me. Um, I'd like to bring the family member back, in so that we just summarize what I expect for from the patient for, until the next visit, such as if there is homework. And I, and oftentimes because I do a lot of what I call. Teaching and, uh, strengthening of the patient in terms of different strategies for them to cope with stress. I actually like the family member to be part of the therapy. Because what I find, if I say if I do cognitive behavior therapy, it's very difficult for the patient to do it in isolation. So if there's some family member that can Support the patient and they can do it together at home. That just strengthens my uh, ability to teach the patient some uh, resiliency skills as well as it uh, gives some tools for the family member to have to deal with right. the stress that they're dealing with. So they're both on the same page about what they can do to
2: manage stress. Got it. Kathy, please describe what you would consider to be a consultation that successfully enables your communications as a family caregiver and which reflects your family members' needs. Cathy? Um,
3: reflects my family members' needs... I was listening to what Dr. Dope said and and earlier too I really have to say that I respect your need to form that rapport with the client I respect that very much and I totally agree with you in that uh, the client can be very sensitive and uh, and sense you know if there's been any betrayal, so that respect between the the physician and the client is something that you know the rapport is very important, and I would never want to sort of step on that um, What I would like as a family caregiver um, meeting the doctor and and with you know and with my son is I would like to describe. Some of the things that um, he's experienced that maybe he is not able to verbalize uh, to the doctor, I, I'd like to sort of fill in the kind of um, the things that he hasn't been able to communicate. Um, the difficulty, though, with that, when you're talking in front of the client to the doctor, is sometimes the subject is very distressing for the client to hear. And he he might, um, you know, become um, hyper or even agitated or even, you know, threaten violence. So it is, in some sense, hard to speak with the client being there to the doctor. But I don't know of any Alternative, I, I certainly wouldn't want to go um, behind my son's back to talk to the doctor. But I just want to sort of communicate that it is hard to talk to the doctor when you must talk in front of of the patient. I, I don't know if you can appreciate that, but no,
4: no, I, I, feel... I do. And and uh, uh, I just I... want to say is that oftentimes the kind of relationship I try to engender is to make the family member feel comfortable enough and to understand that they're not bound by confidentiality, but mm-hmm. they can share with me all the information they would like. Mm-hmm. And to either, that may be a phone call, that might be an email, that might be uh, just a conversation in the hall, but they can share with me what they want to share, what their concerns are. Mm-hmm. I may not be able to tell them yeah. about uh, my um, evaluation, but certainly having their eyes on on my patient is very helpful, and well- I think almost. <laughs> with psychotic patients and, and bipolar patients. I mean, it's, it's critical. I, I couldn't mm-hmm. imagine treating... Well, it's
3: very affirming for you to say that, Dr. Dope, because there have been... There was one occasion when I left information on a doctor's voicemail. It was actually when my son was uh, still in elementary school, and I was taken aside and uh, told off for doing this by the, by the psychiatrist. Uh, and it was an emergency situation. It was when my son was uh, was suicidal, and I left information, uh, you know, communicating this on the doctor's voicemail. And I was taken aside and uh, and told off um, because the doctor wanted to hear uh, from the patient, not from me, but from the patient how he felt. And uh, so it's when you say that you like to get information. That that's just that's really. Um, that's very affirming for me to hear. Right. Um, but it has, unfortunately, when I have communicated information to doctors in the past, it hasn't always been uh, welcome.
2: Right, well, now and that and takes and me... Uh, if, could I just go to my next couple of questions? Because well, they I'm are going to take us forward. Well, I would uh, Lisa, like to say Lisa to you. To
4: Kathy, that I think in those kind of situations, I would encourage her still to leave the information. Oh, really? Yes, yeah. because, uh, you know, even if it distresses the physician or the psychiatrist, mm. you, you, I think, have a responsibility. Yeah, and I told so my to own family doctor this, and she physician, agreed. So. Now, yeah. whether they want to hear it, that's not your problem. Yeah. You know, you need to let them know. Yeah. Now, I want to ask
2: you, I want to get my question in both of you because I want to move us to something. You've both been describing a situation which you both fundamentally agree on, and you're also describing a, a little bit of a way forward, the makings of a procedure, you know, for doing the consultations. So, first of all, do you see the basis? Supposing we had a lot more time to talk, could you two generate the description of a procedure that would make for good consultations in mental health care. First of all, Lisa, and then Kathy. What do you think, Lisa?
4: Well, I think it first needs to be recognized as a problem, as an issue. And there needs to be communication at the highest levels about the value of, of, and the role of... Um, and, and then... And then based on that, then I think the conversation you need to throw out a a template and let people pick it apart. because um, maybe it's easier to have a conversation when there is a model there.
2: Right. Kathy, what do you think? Well, do you see makings of something that?
3: Well, I like something concrete, you know, um, and, um, Dr. Dope, you said, you know, we need to discuss it, but that's the thing about the mental health system. It's been one discussion after another, one paper after another, one, you know, it like just goes on and on, and it's just talk, talk, talk. Yeah. And uh, I really would like some sort of concrete uh, way to move forward because I need to communicate my concerns to my son's doctor, my son's psychiatrist, um, now. Not, you know, not... Yeah. I think, yeah. Not 10 years from now, and and yeah. then this is this, this is the problem with the mental health system is is that they there's all these consultations and papers and commissions and everything, but nothing ever gets done, and it's still you know we're still in the same bog that we were 10 years ago.
4: Right, and I understand your frustration, and which is why I sort of have a solo practice because I too am so frustrated with the mental health care system that. Um, I don't find a lot of hope within it. Mm -hmm. And um, so I think it has to almost come from um, the ground level up, um, Mm -hmm. which is why having a conversation, I think two things. I think you first have to deal with your own personal situation, so you have to almost find a psychiatrist that will operate the way you want to. An interview. Issue. Then, mm-hmm. secondly, there's the bigger systemic issue, which is where the conversation has to occur between what I would say is the Society of Schizophrenia and um, physician groups, whether it's the College of Family Physicians or the GP psychotherapists. So the GP, I'm, I'm a GP psychotherapist at this point, and uh, we have an association, so perhaps that's uh, an entry point.
2: What do you think about that, Kathy? Well, you know, I'm not
3: a physician, so I I really uh, can't speak to that. I am a family member, and I really do feel that, uh, you know, we families have to get together, because we all have the same concerns, and yes, you know, I'm hopeless too, but... Um, but because this is my own flesh and blood, we have to do something. And you know, like we just have to move forward. There's no, there's no option. And um, I really feel that families need to get together to organize, um, to come together to be a, a voice and build, um, build a movement and, and start making change. And I've heard that from other other sources too that the only way to change the mental health system is for the families to get organized um, because we're the ones that see the consequences of uh, the way it is right now.
2: Right now again it's the tyranny of time we're going to have to take the break but I just want to say to both of you very very quickly yes family caregivers getting together getting united uniting forming their own community But also, I think what Lisa's saying is, talk to the doctors too, because they have communities, they have frustrations, and basically they may be willing to work with the family caregivers to produce some of the things you're you're both talking about. Now, again, it's time to take the break. This is Dr. Gordon Adderley and my guests are Kathy Walker and Dr. Lisa Dope. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio for Powell River. Please stay with us. We will be back. (laughs)
1: starts here VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com It's your world. How can we Americans realize our dreams to earn a living? How can you pursue your dream and make money as an owner or an employee? learn how at the american business person the online weekly radio talk show hosted by rich killian today's business leaders share how to succeed and what fails if you own a new or established business or ever hope to you must tune in join us every wednesday at 3 p.m eastern time 2 p.m central and noon pacific on the voice america business channel or listen on demand to our archived shows
5: are you a business innovator or are you just sitting on the sidelines
1: You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at familycaregiversunite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week, Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our
2: listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Kathy Walker and Dr. Lisa Dope. Our topic is voice for family caregivers in the mental health system. Now I want us to talk about ways to increase help for family caregivers in getting their voices heard as individuals and as communities. So, Cathy, you first. What do you want to do and what do you want to see done to increase help for individual family caregivers in having what I'm terming good consultations in mental health care? Cathy?
3: Well, um, one thing that I'd like to see done, and uh, that was your... uh that was your question, um, was I'd like to see psychiatrists get trained in working with families. Um in China they're actually there I read an article just recently where their um psychiatrists in China are actually proposing working directly with families. I like I really like that idea. Um, I'd like to see more of a focus on um, some of the cognitive deficits of the illness, um, and I'd like to um, get information on how to how to address uh, that. That would be really helpful. Um, I'd like to see education uh, for families in mental illness, such as the Strengthening Families Together Program of the Schizophrenia Society. Um, and I'd like to learn ways that families could work better with family doctors in effecting change. I guess that's my answer.
2: Good. Lisa, what do you want to do and see done to increase help for family caregivers in having good consultations in mental health care?
4: Well, first of all, I'd just like to congratulate you, Gordon, for having this radio program, because I think getting... Uh, family caregivers together, along with different professionals such as myself, I mean, raise the issue. And the identification of an issue in terms of having a common need to have communicate better, improve communication, is always good. Uh, but, so I think that there's more more of these programs are. Whether on radio or in the at the community level would be a start, um, because it's got to be raised as an issue. Uh, I would like to. I get quite frustrated, like Kathy says, is that really, you know, people families have needs now. They don't want communication. They have needs now, and. You know, my my so my heart just bleeds for them because I just hear their needs and there does not seem to be this responsiveness within the system um, in order to give them. And you know, all I can say is just to continue to try and dialogue with doctors who you know their own doctors to get this kind of communication going. Find doctors who will communicate.
2: Right. You both emphasize communications with doctors, perhaps as individual doctors. Let me just ask you both quickly, starting with you, Kathy, what about communications with doctors, not necessarily as individuals, but as small communities of kind of groups of doctors that Lisa's been talking about? What do you feel about that?
3: Oh, I love that idea. Really, um, I just didn't think that, to, you know, uh, that doctors would be, uh, I didn't know that they had the same problem that we family members had. This is new information for me. So, yes, um, I mean, um, the more of us, you know, like, um, what's what's the saying? Um, um, I don't know. Anyway, the more of us, the better. The more of us who feel yes. this, uh, the way that, this way that the system has to change, the better. Absolutely. I'd be open to it, yes.
2: Great. Lisa, what do you think the doctor's response would be if a group of family caregivers, in the situations we're talking about, approached them as a group and said, we want to talk with you about some kind of joint uh, approach to a problem that we're all aware of? What would be the response, do you think, Lisa?
4: I think that there are some organizations which would would be willing to sit down and listen, and I think other organizations wouldn't. Um, and I think that you have to just persevere and go forward and try to find out where are the family-friendly organizations
0: and
4: um, proceed to have meetings and conversations with those groups to try to get what Kathy wants which is a really a standard of communication
2: Mm -hmm. right now I'm going to ask you both a, a kind of concluding uh comment statement if you like from you both starting with Kathy Kathy what's your message for family caregivers caring for family members living with mental illness what's your message for them
3: well, to know that they're the biggest group in the healthcare system and they make the biggest contribution. Um, and I would like them to know that. And I feel very strongly that uh, our voice should reflect our contribution to the system. Uh, because our loved ones are our own flesh and blood, that's why we're motivated for change. We need to change change. Um, you know, these are our loved ones, our relatives, um, it's their, their lives that are affected. Um, we, there's no choice, but we have to fight for change, so we need to work together as a collective voice, um, join other family members through your local schizophrenia society or write letters to the editor of the paper, keep bugging your MPP, keep making noise. Let's move forward together and let's join other stakeholders like uh, doctors, family doctors, who also feel the same way to affect change.
2: Right. Lisa, what's your message for family caregivers caring for family members living with mental illness?
4: I would say take care of yourself because um, this the road... That you've been given is difficult and challenging and stressful. And you must keep yourself strong because it is so often you can get overwhelmed by what you're going to experience with the frustration of the system, of lack of knowledge of what's happening with your loved one. Uh, and so take care of yourself. That's, and, and one of the ways to do it is to have a very strong, family and friends network to give you that strength. But also I think you also need to be able to get the information you desire. And one of the concerns I have is that there there isn't one place that, that gives people up-to-date, leading-edge information. And because oftentimes these illnesses just don't have... Um, therapies at the at the local level, which present the the hope, and that's one thing that we all have to have is hope that whatever we do um, is going to make a difference and going to make things
1: better.
2: Right now, I'm just going to comment back um, just in the couple of minutes that remain to say that, first of all, Kathy. Um, you are the caregivers who are there all the time. The professionals weave in and out um, 15 minutes every three months, whatever it was, Um, you are the ones that are bearing the uh, responsibilities that are delivering the care. And you are not being, you are being recognized not at all. You are not being supported in the way that you need. And as Lisa's just said, among other things, your own health, your own psychological condition, even your own finances may be worn down by this healthcare system that really doesn't recognize what you do, what you bring, uh, in the way of care to your family member, and also what you bring in the way of subsidies, because let's face it, that's what it comes to that you are creating for the healthcare systems. Now, my point of view is that that's where both of you have been pointing out the need to get together in some way with others. And you've articulated it very well, and I hope that's something that between us all we can get going. Um, I'm going to say thank you to Lisa for commenting about this uh, radio show, Family Caregivers Unite. That's its purpose, is to get us all talking, to move things ahead in such a way that we get change. So I want to say thank you to Cathy and to Lisa for everything, sharing your experience so openly, giving us your insights and giving advice and opinion. So all success to you both in everything you do. I want to say thank you to our listeners. We'd like to hear your comments on this episode. And from our listeners, I'd like to hear about ideas for topics or if you personally are interested in being a guest on the show. In our our next episode, we'll talk about how to know that a charity really is a charity. Please join us, same time, same
1: spot on the Internet. Talk to you then. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again twice every week, Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until the next show, we hope our programs help make the coming week easier and more hopeful.
0: Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel.